I think, 20 years old. Uh, I went to college one year and decided I'd go up to uh, work with some other guys I knew. A lot of guys were going up north working on interstate highway construction for Cost Construction Company, and that's where all the excitement was. So I wanted to go up there, and Ronnie Love and I went up, and, and I went to Glenwood, Iowa, and we went out the next day on the job uh, to talk to the uh, superintendent of the job to see if we'd get a, get a job. We just went up there hoping we'd get a job. We went to the main office and talked to the superintendent out there on the grade, and, and we'd gone in our regular street clothes. We weren't dressed to work. We figured he'd probably tell us to come back in a couple of days. Well, we were there about fairly early in the morning. He said, uh, he said, yeah, we need some guys to work right now. He said, I've got some forms that need to be pulled out up on the grade. He said, get in my truck, and I'll take you up there, and you can go to work. Well, man, there we are. We don't have, we got on dress shoes and 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 clean clothes, you know, not looking like we're ready to work, dress shirt, and and, uh, and no lunch. <laughs> he took us, drove us way out. Interstate highway jobs go for miles and miles. They do about 20 miles at a time. And so he took us about 10 miles down the grade where there's no, you know, it's brand new grade through there, so there's no stores, exit, or anything like that. And we're just out in the middle of nowhere, old Ronnie and I, and we start doing our job, pulling, he showed us how to pull those steel forms. We're pulling out the forms, and and, uh, and we asked him uh, before he left, superintendent was about ready to leave. We said, look, we, we don't care to work in dress clothes, but we forgot to bring any lunch. Is there any place to get lunch around here? He said, no, no. He said, well, there is one woman. That she uh, drives a white station wagon, and she makes up sandwiches at home and drives up and down the grade. And he said, if you can see her coming, flag her down, and maybe she'll have something for you to eat. He said, otherwise, you know, it'll be evening before you get through. <laughs> so, and great. And so, boy, about noon, we're starved to death. You know how... 20-year-olds are just slightly hungrier than a 16-year-old. And uh, we're starved to death. And, man, we're sweating and working. And nobody's out there but us, just the two of us. And we see that white station wagon coming down the grade, just dust going everywhere. And we're starved. And that's her. That's her. We'll stop her. So we ran out and said, hey, hey, hey. And we weighed her down. And she, I asked her, have you got anything in there to eat. They said, you sell sandwiches? She said, I've got two liverwurst sandwiches left. Oh, liverwurst is awful, Brother Connor. Liver, you ever eaten it? Oh, you'd die. <laughs> I said, we've got two, two liverwurst sandwiches left. and <laughs> Only Paul would think so. And so uh, we got those two liverwurst sandwiches. And since we were starving to death, we would have ate a dead buzzard, I guarantee you. And so we ate those sandwiches. But I'm just saying, we were so hungry. We were out there getting excited, boy, when he saw that white station wagon. Well, I told you all that to say this. Uh, when we come, the Bible indicates that we ought to be hungry for the Word of God. And we ought to desire it more than our necessary food. And so tonight, every once in a while, I want you to stand up and wave your arms and say, Hey! <laughs> okay. And maybe you can throw an amen in there once in a while. Can you do that, Jamie? Yeah. <laughs> now, if she does it and you men don't, then you know what you're going to get called later, right? We're in Acts chapter number 8. We've been doing a series on uh, soul winning, witnessing, evangelism, personal evangelism on Sunday nights. Brother Dustin got me started on this. I, I think I brought one message, and he said, man, I, I hope you can expand that into a series. And so uh, we've decided to do that. I believe the Lord would have us to... Uh, do a few messages. Acts chapter number 8. We'll just read two verses beginning in verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord 
spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace. I know we've got Candace Corbett, and Candace is generally pronounced in the, our American language as Candace, but here the spelling is the same, but uh, the Greek scholars say you're supposed to call it Candace, so we, we, want, to be, we want to be thoroughly theological, don't we? <laughs> so her name was Candace. Well, she was an Ethiopian. She, she can pronounce her name however she wants to. Uh, Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all, this eunuch had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And then in verse 28, it says, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet. Let's pray right there. Father, I pray that you'd bless us, stir our hearts for the winning of souls to Christ for being inspired to be evangelists. And Lord, as we seek to serve thee, we pray that you'd help us to do our very best to follow you wherever you lead us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Where he leads is what we'll call the message. Now, where he leads, uh, this story is about Philip who got scattered out alone from the rest of his group. Man, they're, they're turning uh, the land of Israel around Jerusalem. They're turning things upside down. That church got on fire. Boy, they're, they're wanting to see people get saved and they're, they're winning people to Christ, but they're being persecuted and the persecution scatters them. And so Philip's out here going along his way and, and the Lord sends the angel to tell Philip, I want you to go down to Gaza. And he did, he went where God leads. God led him down that way, and he went. You and I ought to be willing to go where he leads. Uh, when I was a young man, I felt God moving in my heart. I hadn't been saved long, and I think it's probably about a year after I got saved, I felt God moving on my heart to preach the gospel. And I thought I was the most unlikely candidate that could ever be, but God seemed to be leading me to preach the gospel. And I struggled with it for a while, and wrestled with God for a while and tried to, tried to, like Moses, say, Lord, you probably ought to send somebody else, not me. And I'm, a, I'm an introvert, and I'm not a good speaker. And besides that, I'm a hillbilly. And so, Lord, you'd probably be better off picking somebody, but he wouldn't leave me alone. And so after weeks of struggling with that, I finally went forward in church service at uh, First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Arkansas. And and I told the preacher, I said, preacher, unless you know of some reason why I shouldn't, I'm going to go forward at invitation time this morning and make a call to preach public. I believe God has led me, and I think I need to just let everybody know and, uh, and ask people to pray for me. He said, well, if you believe God's really called you, then, then do it. Make it public. It's like when you get saved, you know, you ought to make your salvation public. Let everybody know. And, uh, and when you get baptized, you're letting everybody know. When... I got called to preach. I felt like I needed to let everybody know. Well, time came a little bit later after I'd preached for a while in, in the ministry there under the pastor, uh, maybe in junior church for a good while and doing some other things. Then I began to feel like God wanted to take me to Bible college. 
And again, you know, we kind of wrestle with the Lord. Now, Lord, I'm married. We've got three kids. And, uh, and, and Lord, I, I've got them in a Christian school. And going to Bible college, you know, I'd have to go for a ways from here. That's back before the times of, before Al Gore invented the internet. <laughs> and so you couldn't take anything online. There were mail-in uh, correspondence courses, but I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go to Oklahoma City to uh, Oklahoma Baptist College and prepare for the ministry. And so I surrendered to that ministry, and we packed up a U-Haul truck. And my mother was saying, well, Rick, don't you think, son, that you could just preach the gospel here without going off to Oklahoma City? I said, well, I could, Mom, but God's leading me that way, and I feel like I need to go where God's leading and that's what we're talking about tonight, where God leads. And so we went off to uh, Oklahoma City and, and studied there. And we came back to Arkansas, worked for Brother Sneather in there in First Baptist Church at Mount Pleasant for several years. Uh, superintendent, not a superintendent, principal of the Christian school and associate pastor. And, and I was with him a total of eight or nine years. And then, then uh, some things happened that he was, he was uh, resigning from the from the pastorate there, and I felt like the best thing for me to do was go somewhere else. And we had some heartaches that came out of that ministry that led us to go somewhere else. And I told my wife, I think the best thing we can do is pack up and go back to Oklahoma City. I feel like it's a safe place to be. It's a good church, a good ministry. Uh, they have good, strong standards. They love the Lord. They preach the Word. and They win souls. And, and they're doing all the things that seem to be the right things to do. And so... While we recover from our heartaches, we can go there. And I had one year of college I needed to finish up anyway. So here we go. Load up a U-Haul back to Oklahoma City again where the Lord leads. That's where we felt like he was leading us. Graduated. and Then it was time to find out where God wanted us to serve. Well, one of the professors in college said, uh, you know, he said, where, where do you want to go? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm I'm kind of fond of the West, but I'm willing to go wherever the Lord leads. He said, well, I know a pastor in Denver that is looking for somebody like you. And he said, he's looking for an associate pastor. And I said, well, maybe we could make contact. And we did, and the pastor had us to come out. And I preached and, and view of call as associate pastor. And, and the pastor said, well, you know, I, I want you to be our associate pastor, but I also want you to start a Bible college. <laughs> I, I've never started a college. I've never taught in a college. I don't think this is my cup of tea. He said, if you go to work for me, that's what I want you to do. And he said, I think you can do it. Said, well, whatever you think then. And so the Lord led us to Denver, where the Lord leads. And so then from Denver, after a few years, and we spent about five years out there, then the Lord led us to Searcy, Arkansas. We were praying about Paragool. We were praying about Mountain View. And we were praying about Searcy. And God seemed to just lead us right to Cersei. We didn't know a soul here, not a single soul. But that's where God led us. Where God leads is the place to go. And so we followed him here. And that was 20 some odd years ago. And we're still here. And the Lord hadn't given us any hint of going somewhere else. So the Lord's leading is still right here. And I love preaching to our people. And I love it when everybody shows up. And we hadn't got all these empty seats. But I love doing what God has led me to do. And I want you to know that God may be leading you to do something. Not to become a missionary necessarily. He could. But he may not want you to go across the ocean. He may not want you to go across town and start a church. 
He may not want you to be an associate pastor for somebody else. He may not even want you to teach a Sunday school class. But he may want you to be a soul winner. He may want you to be an evangelist out of this church in our community. He may want you to witness to people and tell them about the one who came to Bethlehem is the one who died on the cross and the one who loves them and wants to save them. He wants his people to be witnesses. Where God leads, are you willing to follow? If he wants to lead you to be a witness for him, will you follow? Where he leads, I will follow. And that's what I want us to talk about today. We're in the days leading up to the rapture. We were talking about that a little bit ago, Taylor. We're, we're, we're in the days leading up to the rapture, rapture. I believe we're close. I don't know how close. I'm not a prophet. But I believe we've got to be way closer than we used to be. And it's going to happen. Some generation has to be that generation that is caught up to meet the Lord. And we just might be that generation. But whenever it happens, <coughs> the time is probably short. <coughs> and <coughs> there's people who still need to get saved. The world's population is exploding. Cersei is growing. Uh, there's more people moving into town. There's more people lives in our county. And, and churches are not evangelizing the way they used to. I mean, used to, you could go to a Methodist church and hear, to get, hear how to be saved. You could go to the Presbyterian church and hear how to be saved. You could go to just about any kind of church on any corner and hear the gospel of Christ and know how to be saved. But it's not that way anymore. Thank God there's still some churches that are preaching the gospel. But they're not all doing it. And not all Christians are witnessing the way they used to. And the times are drawing short. And so that puts more responsibility on me and on you. We're believers. We know the Lord. We know He saved us. Now we need to follow wherever He would lead us. If we're going to learn how to follow Him, we can learn some things from Philip in this passage of Scripture. If you're going to follow the Lord, first you must recognize His call. Recognize the call of God. If you would be used of God, you have to hear His voice because He has a plan for people. He had a plan for me. And He's led me zigzag back and forth across the country. And I'm glad He's let me stay still these last 27 years. I want to stay still if He'll let me. I'm willing to follow Him wherever He leads me, but I'd, I'd rather be... Stay put right here. And if he leads me to witness to somebody in Circe, I would like to be able to hear his voice. That still small voice that speaks inside of our hearts. The, in verse number 26, it says, look at it again. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. This, Philip, is what I want you to do, the Lord says. I want you to do this. And some people might say, well, why doesn't God use me? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you usable? Are you usable? The best of ability is availability. We have to be usable. And there's not a single soul, I dare say, not a single soul on the face of the earth who has surrendered himself to God fully and has not been filled and used by God. God's looking for empty vessels. And many times our vessel is so full of the cares of this world that we're not fit for the kingdom of God. We're saved, but we're not fitted to his work. And if we're full of pride, we're full of, of, uh, of, of self-ambition, we're full 
of everything else, cares about everything under the sun, then we're not usable. And so before he can fill us with the Holy Spirit of God, and that's what it takes, friend. If you're going to win somebody to Christ, you have to have the Spirit of God. You see, I'm not the sole winner. God is. The Holy Spirit does the winning. I do the telling. The Holy Spirit uses me and uses you as we surrender to Him. And so in that sense, we are a soul winner, that He is doing the soul winning through us. But without the power of God, we won't get the job done. And so if we empty ourselves, listen, if we empty ourselves of all that would hinder us from following Him wherever He leads, then we're usable. God's looking for vessels fit for the Master's use. That the reason he will use us is because we're willing. God's using old Philip here in this passage of Scripture. Philip is just an ordinary person. He wasn't anybody special. Not any more special than you are. God used him in a great and wonderful and exciting way. There's something about the working of God, the way God works. Oftentimes it's a mysterious way. It's a mysterious way that that you don't know exactly what he's going to do with you. It might be that God wants you to witness to somebody and you don't even know about it until, bam, he just hits you all at once in your heart. Now, I'm not talking about speaking out loud. I've never had an angel to speak out loud to me, all right? (laughs) But I've had God's voice inside. And this angel spoke to Philip and said, I want you to go down to Gaza. Now, Philip had no way of knowing what's going to happen when he gets to Gaza. It didn't say God just said, I want you to go down to Gaza. Philip didn't say, well, Lord, would you care to fill me in on the details? I'll think about it. No, he didn't do that. He didn't say, well, Lord, what is your plan? Uh, What do I need to take with me? He said, go. And what did Philip do? He went. You see, Philip was used to reach one of the most influential men in all of North Africa. This man, he was, the Bible says he was a man of great authority. I mean, he was, he was working under Queen Candace. He's got authority. He's probably rich. He's got power. And Philip's just kind of a nobody. And God said, Philip, I want you to go down here and win this guy. Now, Philip didn't know what he was going to do, but as we'll see later on, Philip won the guy to the Lord And that guy went back to Ethiopia and the beginning of great evangelistic endeavors were started just because of him. You see, the gospel hadn't got down there yet. God used Philip to get it to a man of authority then who would in turn reach others. God uses plain and simple people. I've told you before about how a man by the name of Kimball Went to a shoe store and led Dwight L. Moody to the Lord. Now, these days, not everybody knows about Dwight L. Moody, but he, he was quite an evangelist in his day in the 1800s. And, and it is said by his biographers that he shook two continents, Europe and America, for the cause of Christ. But here's a little guy by the name of Kimball that wasn't a famous person at all. He was a Sunday school teacher. But the Lord led him to go over there to that shoe store and witness to Dwight L. Moody, and Moody got saved. 
Well, Moody was not a great man either. He was orphaned at the age of four, never got a formal education. I mean, his, his, his language was horrible. He's one of the best pre known preachers of the 1800s. But yet they said he slaughtered the king's English, but he did a great job for the king, the king of kings. When he went to England, he preached at Cambridge. Moody, the man that can't, can barely speak good English, said that when he wrote his last letter before he died that he has like 60 errors in that single letter, uh, grammatical errors in his letter that he left behind. And that was in his elder years. But he went to England and they asked him to preach at Cambridge. And at Cambridge, there was a man by the name of C.T. Studd. And he was a, a cricketer, uh, a an athletic star. He was on, I think, what they called the 11. And he, he was uh, the rock star of, they play cricket over there. I don't know anything about cricket. But it would be kind of like, uh, you know, a popular sport like, it, like football would be here. And so C.T. Studd heard Moody preach. And his heart was stirred. And Studd's father was a personal, a personal friend to the Queen of England. And C.T. Studd's father was wealthy. C.T. Studd was set up. He could have everything he wanted. He had authority. He had power. He had riches. He was a social elite. But yet when he heard Moody preach, his heart was stirred. And he went to China. He resigned from the athletics at Cambridge and gave his life to establish some great ministries in China. You know what he said? Somebody asked him, what, what motivated you to do what you did, to leave all that wealth and society and that prestige? What made you leave it all anyway? And he said this, if Christ be God and died for me, then there is no sacrifice I can make too great for him. Oh, he gave his life. Who would have thought? See, God's ways are mysterious when he calls. You don't know always what he's doing. He called this little guy by the name of Kimball to win Moody, and Moody went then and won C.T. Studd and influenced him. And Moody would have been kind of like, in this past century, uh, the Billy Graham of that era, except Billy Graham was rather polished and dignified, Moody was just, he was kind of like an old blue-collar worker that didn't, uh, didn't have much going for him, but man, did he do some work for God. I'm saying God can use the most unlikely people, and we don't always know exactly what he is doing. We don't know what he's doing when he calls us, but our job is to do what? Our job is to surrender. He says, Lord, the Lord says, hey, I want to lead you somewhere. My job is like Philip's job to say, yes, sir. I don't know what you want, don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm on my way. Wouldn't that be good if every Christian in America served God that way? They said, Lord, you don't have to tell me everything. Just tell me when, when you're ready. That's the way God does. God's ways are often unexplained. Uh, his ways 
are unknown. We don't always know what he's going to do. And, and do you know that he didn't explain anything to Philip? He just said, go. <laughs> and he didn't argue with him. Sometimes we lay out a, a fleece and try to uh, bargain with God. Well, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Philip didn't do that. God didn't explain anything to him, and he just said, I'll go, and he went. It was a, a divine appointment. You never know. When God calls, you may not know why he's doing it or how he's doing it. He may not explain to you. But when he leads, you just follow and trust. But if he's powerful enough to save your soul, he's powerful enough to lead you in the right way. I've seen it happen in my own life. When we lived in Denver, we had uh, <clears throat> several deacons in the church. One of them's name was Cliff, Cliff Jackson. Well, I, I'd been going out, and the preacher uh, had asked me if I'd go and check on some of the bus kids that got saved. They hadn't baptized in a long, long time, but they'd had several get saved in junior church, and so the preacher asked me, if I'd go visit them, I said, I sure will. And so I was going out and visiting those parents, winning some of the kids to the Lord and some of their parents to the Lord. And we were beginning to get people baptized. And <clears throat> so Cliff, Cliff wanted to go with me. He thought this is some kind of magic or something. Man, i got to see this. All I'm doing is just going, you know, and the Lord leads us. And so uh, <laughs> I told Cliff, it's not the way you want to start off with a new soul winner. I told Cliff, he said, what do you do anyway if you go out and, and knock on doors? Or what do you do? I said, well, that's what we do a lot of times. He said, well, what if you knock on a door and, and, and they look at you and say, I'm not interested? I said, well, in that case, if it's just me and you standing on the porch and they tell me they're not interested, I'll just step back and say, Cliff, he's all yours. <laughs> he said, oh, no. <laughs> well, I was just joking with him. But we were driving uh, through the heart of the city, and we made a turn, a left-hand turn, going around the corner, and there's a... Oh, a young man, probably Cliff's age. He was a little younger than me. And he was a man probably in his early 30s. And so we saw this guy standing on the corner, and he had a seeing-eye dog. Later found out the man's name was Rick Carver. And so we turned that corner, and it's just like the Lord said, you know, that somebody ought to talk to that blind man. People probably avoid him. Somebody ought to go talk to him. And so I just pulled over to the curb. Cliff said, what are you doing? I said, let's go talk to this fellow over here. He looks like he might need a little encouragement or something. And so we got out, walked up to him and just befriended him, talked to him for a while and found out he was, uh, he was really very lonely and didn't have anything much to look forward to in life. And we just befriended him there in a little bit and told him about the Lord and how Jesus died for him on the cross. You know, he was kind of like, he was kind of like this Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch had been up to Jerusalem, the religious center of the world. But boy, their religion had gone dry and dusty. And he, that old eunuch went away from Jerusalem. He's still thirsty. He didn't get the water of life. And Rick standing there on the corner, and he was thirsty too. And we told him about the Lord Jesus, and he bowed his head right there on the sidewalk in downtown Denver and asked the Lord to save him. He came to church and uh, came for quite a while. I don't remember just how long, but he came to church a lot. But I'm just saying, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't have a map. 
uh, a plan as far as who we're going to see. Sometimes I did, but I didn't that day. We're just going. I just wanted to take Cliff with me and show him, you know, how you can talk to people about the Lord in any situation. The Lord led us to Rick Carver. Rick Carver got saved. Thank God for that. You know, God may nudge you at work. The Lord may want to lead you at work to speak to one of your workmates, your boss, somebody, an inspector, somebody else that works on the same job, same office, wherever you work. God may nudge you and say, speak to them. Now, you, if you're going to do like Philip and you're going to say, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. If the Lord leads you to do that, then it's time to do it instead of argue. Now, true, you don't want to, if, if you're, if you have to shut down a machine or, you know, you have to steal time from your boss to witness, I don't think that's honest. But if you can talk and work at the same time, you can tell somebody about the Lord Jesus wherever you happen to be. If you can't find a time while you're working to tell him, sit down and eat lunch with him. But don't pass the opportunity because if that's the leading of God, if that's the way God led you, you don't want to be uh, like those who just say, well, I've got something else to do or maybe, uh, maybe this guy wouldn't be interested. I mean, this <coughs> old Philip could have said, man, this guy's an Ethiopian and I'm a Jew. We'd, we've got nothing in common. He didn't let racial barriers stand in the way. He could have said, man, this guy, he's from the queen. He, he's a man of authority. He's rich. He's powerful. And I'm just a nobody. I can't talk to him. He could have said, you know, that guy's sitting in a chariot reading. If I go over there, I'll bother him. I said, no, go do it. And he went and talked to him. And the rest, as we'll see in a little bit, is history. Responding to the Lord's leading. Where the Lord leads. If the Lord leads you to speak to somebody about Jesus, don't let fear. The devil is a master at putting fear in your heart. But the Bible says God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and sound mind. You know what they need? They need somebody that's willing to tell them about Jesus. Philip doesn't argue. He just goes. Number two, not only must you hear the call of God, you must speak about the Christ of God. See, there's, there's ministries and Christians and missionaries and outreaches that call themselves Christian and they may do a lot of good work. But I'm here to tell you a lot of them are not giving the gospel out anymore. They'll feed the hungry and put glasses on their face so they can see. They'll heal their wounds, give them medicine, maybe do some dentistry. And all of that's good stuff. If it gives you the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. But to do those things without the, the opportunity to relay the gospel to them is a total waste. If you fill their belly full, what have you done? If you don't give them the gospel, you send them to hell on a full stomach. But they need somebody to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's multitudes out there that need to hear the gospel and there's multitudes of ministries that's not given it. Three things to know about the gospel. What did Philip do? First of all, he showed this man that he was a sinner. Look, uh, look at verse number 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. 
and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So here's a man that's been up, he's, he's heard about religion, but he hadn't got salvation. And somehow in this divine appointment, God has led this man. He had a piece of scripture with him and he's reading out of Isaiah. And wouldn't you know it, God just led him to read in the very place <laughs> that Philip's going to say, that's the one you need to know about. That's the passage of scripture about Jesus. He's the one that tells you what you need to know. And so he showed the man that he was a sinner. And verse number 32 says, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb, dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34, and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom the prophets speak. Uh, whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself or some other man? Now watch this in verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Before somebody can receive Jesus, they need to know why they have to receive Jesus. If you're going to be led of the Lord to win somebody to Jesus Christ, number one, they need to know that they're a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every human being born on the face of the earth was born a sinner. And this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was hungry to know the gospel. But the first thing he had to know was he's a sinner in need of a savior. And see, he preached to him Jesus at this point. There's some people who will never possess salvation because they'll never admit they're a sinner. Some people think, well, I'm just as good as that preacher. I'm just as good as that deacon. I'm just as good as that Sunday school teacher. I'm just as good as those people that go to church. It's not a matter of comparing yourself against others. It's a matter of comparing yourself against Christ. And Christ is the sinless one. None of us can say that. Everybody has sinned. And that's why they need a Savior. He showed this man that Christ died for his sins. Look at this again in verse number. Well, let's, let's go to the, the scripture in Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 53. In verse number four. Well, let's read verse three and four. Speaking of Jesus, the prophesied Jesus. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Oh my. We, it says, like sheep have gone astray but he died in our place. And friend, if you're going to 
if you're going to be a faithful witness and you're going to go where God leads you and give people the plan of salvation, first of all, you've got to let them know they're a sinner. All we like sheep have gone astray. But number two, Jesus died in our place. They have to know that. I've said this time and again, but somehow we need to hear it across the world over and over again that salvation is not just because Jesus was a good teacher. It's not just because we go to church. It's not because we try to keep the Ten Commandments. Salvation comes because somebody died in our place and suffered our sin for us, and that was Jesus. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, over in First Peter, it says that he, he bore our stripes. He was beaten in our place. He took our suffering for us. And so if somebody's going to get saved, we've got to show them that they're a sinner. Jesus died in our place. He was our substitute. And then number three, Philip taught this man that salvation is by grace through faith. Look at verse number 36 back in our Acts text. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, baptism is a good thing. But it's something we do. Salvation is by grace. And that's something God does. So they're riding along in the chariot after Philip's explained to him about the gospel. And so... The eunuch says, well, how about me uh, getting baptized? And notice what he says. And Philip said, verse 37, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Philip's saying, look, getting baptized is a good thing, but that's not how you get saved. But if you believe, you see, he's explaining to him that salvation is by grace. In Romans it says, if if it's by works, then it's no more by grace. If it's by grace, it's no more by works. So it's one or the other. It can't be a mixture of the two. It's kind of like if, uh, if, uh, if Brother Bob said, you know, preacher, I've got a lot of money. I'm going to buy you a brand new Jaguar. How much do those things cost? hundred grand, maybe, maybe more for a cheap one. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Bob says, I'm going to buy you one. It's $100,000, preacher. I said, well, that's a lot of money. Well, it's okay, preacher. I love you, and I'm going to buy you a, a new Jaguar. And so he said, let's go on down to the dealership and, and pick out the color you want. And, and so we pick one out, and he gets ready to pay for it, and he's getting ready to write the check out for $100,000. And I said, wait a minute. You know, this, this is too much for you. And I pull out a dollar bill. I said, let me help you a little bit here. He's going to pay $99,999 and I pay $1? What kind of insult would that be? <laughs> He'd probably say, oh, forget it, man. <laughs> if, you, if you can't take the gift, just forget it. You see, that would be an insult. I couldn't... I couldn't buy the thing with my own money. He's doing it for me and I can't even help him. And friend, there's nobody that can pay for part of their sins and you'll, you'll run into this as you tell people about Jesus. They'll say, well, I believe you get saved by grace but there's certain things you've got to do. Either to get saved or stay saved. Nope. It's all by grace or it's by works. It can't be both. 
If I give $1 on that car, then it's not a gift. I helped pay for it. And you can't help pay for your salvation. It's all by grace. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He's the one that paid with his crimson flow for my salvation. Some people think, and we got churches all over Searcy, Arkansas that teach that, yeah, you get saved by grace, but then you've got to toe the mark and you've got to get baptized. You've got to be faithful and you've got to read your Bible and you can't sin and you've got to do this and you've got to do the other thing. And if you don't hold out faithful, you ain't going to make it. And I say to them, oh, wait. What good was Jesus dying on the cross if I have to pay for it myself? You're just putting me back in the same place where, where I was before, even without the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus paid it all, or he didn't pay any. I believe he paid it all. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that's the hardest part to convince people of, that it's freely given. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, if I could pay for part of it by myself, I could boast. God says, no, I'm not sharing my glory with you. I paid the full price. And that's what we have to explain to people. Jesus paid it all. Now they'll say, well, you just believe you can go out and live any old way you want to? Well, the Bible wants us to live according to His commands, His principles. But that's not in order to be saved or to stay saved. That's so you can please Him and have fellowship with Him. And that's the part where we get hung up with people. They want to pay part of the price. And that's why I said earlier, it's hard for people just to admit that they're a sinner and that Jesus paid it all. They want to help do it. I can't work my soul into heaven. Neither can you. And neither can those that the Lord leads us to to witness to them. We have a wonderful Savior who paid the full price. And then last thing, I'll be done if you're going to go where the Lord leads, you must practice the commands of God. Now, he did baptize, Philip did baptize the eunuch. It says in verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, and Philip, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So we are commanded to be baptized, but not commanded to be baptized in order to become saved, but because we are saved. It's, it's a public profession, saying, I believe like you do. I believe that Jesus went down into the grave after he died for my sins. I believe that he came up out of the grave in his resurrection. And so we follow the commands to please him, not in order to buy our salvation. Well, we better not elaborate on that a lot more, but at this time I'm just asking you the question. Are you willing to go where Jesus leads? If he leads you to witness to somebody are you willing to go? You say, I'm afraid. Well, the best way to get over fear is to face it. After you do it, you'll be glad you did. I wish everybody in our church was just on fire for God. I wish everybody in Searcy, Arkansas was on fire for God to see souls saved. I wish everybody in our state and around the nation and the world was just on fire for God just to see people get saved. How many folks would get saved if we would just tell them? I can't persuade them, but I can tell them how Jesus died for them. And then the Holy Spirit draws them. Before I got saved, my wife said that, and, and I, was, 
I was a heathen. I would drink every night. I didn't get falling down drunk sometimes. <laughs> I would drink uh, beer every night after I'd get off work, come home and drink. She said for about a week before I got saved, I hadn't been to church. I hadn't heard him preaching lately. But she said I had my beer just set up that I wasn't drinking it at night. She came in one evening and said she caught me watching the Billy Graham crusade. I never watched preaching. I didn't, wasn't attracted to it, but I'd, I had already quit drinking my beer and was watching, watching a, a salvation message. And that Sunday, she invited me to church. She didn't nag me, didn't threaten me. She just uh, she said, would you go to church with me today? I went that day, and that was a divine appointment. When I got to that church and I heard the preaching of the gospel of Christ, I realized I was a lost sinner, but I could be saved because Jesus died for me. This divine appointment, had it not been for Elvis Sneathern, the pastor of that church, winning her to the Lord three years earlier, I wouldn't have had that divine appointment, I don't suppose. Because somebody cared. Because Brother Sneathern cared. He tried to reach her. He witnessed to me a number of times and I wouldn't get saved until that Sunday I went to church. She cared. She asked me to go to church with her. And I did that day and Jesus spoke to my heart. Boy, it was loud. I mean, it wasn't out loud, but it was loud. <laughs> I mean, heart pounding. And when the invitation came, I was having a battle going on in my soul. But I went down front. Finally turned loose at that pew, went down front and received the Lord as Savior. Well, I'm so glad I did. And what few people I've been able to lead to the Lord since then. I'm glad that the Lord used me to get his message across. And the Lord will lead you to people. And you can give that message to. You just have to be willing to go. Willing to go. Will you go where he leads? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for your blessed assurance that comes to us when we trust you as Savior. Lord, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit of God to invade our hearts tonight, to inspire us to be witnesses for you. Lord, people need somebody to tell them how to be saved. We understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the wooing and the persuading, the drawing and the winning. But Lord, you'd like to use human beings to be the mouthpiece for that gospel message. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be willing. Help us to go where you lead. If you put a soul in our path, Lord, help us to be willing to speak to them about the Lord Jesus. I pray you'd bless us with those kind of decisions tonight. Just to say, Lord, I'll go. I'll go for you. Show me where to go and I'll follow. 